0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power
2: to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. ba 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 one time on Fridays at participating. McDonald's through twelve thirty one twenty four. Excludes tax. Must update rewards.
2: Welcome to The Health Podcast, a new season from BBC Good Food. I'm Tracy Ray, qualified nutritionist and health editor here at BBC Good Food. In this series, I'll be your host as we explore the world of health and wellness through a series of interviews with renowned and innovative experts across the globe, where I'll be seeking out some of the best practical tips and advice they have to offer remember that all content provided here is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions or concerns related to your personal health, you should first seek the advice of your local healthcare practitioner. This week, we're talking about how you can support your long term brain health through lifestyle measures such as diet, exercise, and community based interventions that could even reduce your risk of developing dementia. Joining me are doctors Aisha and Jean, Dean Sherzai. Actually, can I ask you, is that the proper pronunciation of your surname? Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, you said Sherzai. That's perfect.
2: Yeah, yes. Perfect. Joining me are doctors Aisha and Dean Sherzai. Dean is a behavioral neurologist and neuroscientist who has dedicated his life to exploring behavioral change models at the community and population level, while Aisha completed two residencies at Loma Linda University in preventative medicine and neurology, as well as an extensive culinary training program which allows her to teach large populations how to make tasty, easy and healthy food for the brain. They're directors of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University Medical Center and have recently released their new book, The 30 Day Alzheimer's Solution, the definitive food and lifestyle guide to preventing cognitive decline. Welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having us, Tracy. It's wonderful to be here. It's a pleasure.
2: So I wanted to start for anyone listening who might not be familiar with your work. Um, I wondered if you could share a little bit about what it was that drew you to the subject of brain health initially.
0: So I, I grew up and I think both of us I grew up in a family of physicians <clears throat> and, and surgeons and different fields. And whenever we got together, it was always talk about the brain. So Brain talk was part of the dinner table. We always heard people talk about consciousness and awareness and focus and all these things. And then about 17 years ago, the two of us, now it's about 18, right? And we met uh, eight, you know, 8,000 miles away in Afghanistan where we both went back to uh, serve. We, we've we done this all our life. We've gone through many countries trying to help uh, in different situations. Uh, and a party... Uh we were sitting and we got uh we we started talking and uh, the first conversation was about our grandparents. I lost two grandparents to Alzheimer's, two amazing, brilliant people, <clears throat> uh, and Aisha lost two grandparents as well. And God, that and conversation, parenting. yeah. Um, we recognized immediately the 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 weight, the the devastation of an amazing human being losing parts of themselves in small bits, with fear taking its place every minute, every second, every day. Um, That had taken um, most of our life. Right. And uh, so we decided to start our journey together about a year after that. uh, Got married and we restarted our journey. uh, And that's where uh, where we are now, 17, 18 years later. Yeah.
2: Wow. What an incredible story. And Aisha, you studied um, preventative medicine. Why preventative, I wonder?
1: So having um, a lovely family member at home that our parents took care of with dementia and having seen the massive impact of public health on general health, Mm. Um, Dean and I have traveled quite a bit and we've, um, uh, spent a good portion of our life working in different communities in public health. As a medical student, I was part of the Doctors Without Borders. And when you are exposed, mm. um, early in life to, uh, public health, uh, activities like that, you understand its impact and you want, you, I, I we always wanted to get involved in, a global health perspective. And in a field like neurology and specifically Alzheimer's, um, there was nothing going on as far as public health um, was concerned. It was a disease that was quite devastating. It would be identified or diagnosed very late in the process. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially a bad news given to a person And they were told to make decisions for the few years that were left for them. And we wanted to bring a fresh perspective. We uh, studied quite a bit about the impact of lifestyle on cardiovascular health, how people can actually lower their risk of heart disease, diabetes, and all these other vascular risk factors if they ate well, or if they exercised, or Mm -hmm. if they managed their stresses better. And um, we, we figured out that the brain also is like any other organ in the body it is um, amenable to change, it can grow, it can get hurt. And so it was very important for us to look at the preventive side of medicine for brain health. And so that's why um, it was actually a joint decision. I decided to go into preventive medicine and neurology. And the two of us actually coined the term preventive neurology. Mm. And so our clinical work and our research has been focused on identification of lifestyle factors that affect the brain, not only to grow its capacity, but also to prevent devastating diseases like Alzheimer's, strokes, and other dementias.
2: Mm. That's so interesting, actually. I think oftentimes we tend to kind of think of the heart or we might think of the kidneys or um, even now we're starting to think a little bit more about like the gut and and the pancreas and like all the associations with the diseases and what we can do with lifestyle through that. But I think, you know, as you say, um, thinking about the brain in relation to something that you can apply lifestyle measures to, you know, the clinical outcomes is, I think, quite a new thing. Um, and which yes. <laughs> which yes. I can see you both smiling <laughs>
0: yeah yeah it, it's it was bewildering that it wasn't and and mm. it's understandable in retrospect because <clears throat> the brain appears such a uh, as such a complicated organ that for centuries if not millennia it was ignored uh, you know whenever you don't understand something you you work around it literally mm. that was what was happening the the seed of consciousness the very seat of consciousness, would be thrown away in anatomy labs, whereas the rest of the body was kept and buried and labeled. So they would throw away the brain. That's who we are, wow. you know? So because we didn't understand it. We do understand the brain very well, despite the fact that a lot of people say, well, it's too complicated. We don't know. We've learned so much in the last few decades. In fact, for in the last decade, we've learned uh, basically the, the the whole infrastructure of how the brain works. And to that end, we've learned that the brain is a continuation of the rest of the body but mm. much more so. What, what do I mean by that? It's the most vascular organ. We think the heart is the seat of or the center of all vasculature. Well, we have more than 400 miles of vasculature in the brain. Wow! I mean, we're talking about if you take all these micro vessels, it's, it's remarkable. It is the most energy hungry organ in the body. This little three pound organ, which is 2% of our body's weight, actually consumes up to 25% of our body's energy at any one point. Mm. In fact, it does some of its best work. If done right, during sleep, that's if we sleep well. And and that's why uh, we know now that if we thought that we could prevent heart disease by by abating or stopping the vascular disease, oh, that's exponentially true for the brain. Mm. If we thought that we could affect inflammation, By, you know, doing something as far as drugs or food with the knees or the joints. Oh, that's exponentially more true for the brain. So the brain is both much more uh, susceptible because it's always working continuously, Mm. but it's also so much more resilient. The resilience is in the number of connections and that's just magical. If there's Mm. anything magical that we know of, this is it. We're talking about eighty-seven billion neurons that can make a couple of connections each, or as much as thirty thousand connections each, wow. and that number of connections is under our control at any one point. That's mm. remarkable, and that's mm-hmm. that's resilience, that's protection, that's cognitive development well into your seventies, eighties, nineties, and beyond.
2: Yeah, and I think that that's fascinating what you've said, and I think. Particularly, the point that stood out for me is when you were um, associating the the vascular aspect of that. So again, between the vascular element of cardiovascular issues and the vascular element of of brain health and um, you know brain conditions, it just it it says it so clearly, doesn't it? In terms of like, absolutely. Well, if we know that we can support that through some lifestyle lifestyle interventions then surely it makes sense that we could support the brain as well. And I guess I I really want to get into um, some of these these recommendations and and some of the things that that you do. Um, But to start with, um, for for the people that are a little bit less familiar um, with concepts like dementia and Alzheimer's. I wonder if you could explain, um, if you could start by explaining what exactly dementia is um, and how it relates to the condition that we know as Alzheimer's disease. Uh,
0: I'll start and then. Uh, we, sure. So there. Are, we would actually like to add a third element. And I want the audience, they have not heard this third element. And, and to us, that's the more important element. Mm-hmm. The First is cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. Then we have dementia and Alzheimer's. So I'll get to cognitive decline last. Dementia is the umbrella category. It's a catch-all category. It means basically when somebody's cognition because of memory problems or executive function or something that has to do with thinking is affected to the extent where they can't do their daily activities anymore. Not because of physical limitations or visual limitations, but because of Thinking limitations. They can't drive anymore. They're having difficulty driving, taking care of their medicine, um, taking care of the cooking or washing you know, the clothes. That's dementia. It's an umbrella category. Now, there are many types of dementia, frontotemporal lobe dementia, vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, Parkinson's dementia. And the biggest one is Alzheimer's dementia, which is about 70% of all dementias. Um, wow. These are the fastest growing ad- chronic disease epidemics in the world and especially in the West, by far. It's the number one cause of mortality in the U- UK and Japan and most of Europe, and it's becoming number one in the US. Now, why did I bring cognitive decline? Is because if we recognize that cognitive decline starts early in our 20s, 30s, 40s, then like most of us in our 30s and 40s, we, we thought that we were immortal. But no, it's not just about avoiding dementia, because if you, if you live life with a way that you're actually avoiding cognitive decline and actually increasing focus and memory, you will avoid dementia for the most part. There's only three to five percent of population that are that have the kind of genes that cannot avoid dementia. Three to five. Wow. The rest are all an interplay of genes and environment. That's mm-hmm. we're talking about 90 to 95% interplay mm-hmm. of genes and environment. And most of it is environment, which starts early. 10, 20, 30 years before any dementia starts.
2: So when you're talking about, just for anybody listening, when you're talking about the early signs of, of cognitive decline, then are you talking about things like brain fog, forgetfulness, that kind of a thing?
1: Yes. So brain fog is a term that uh, essentially refers to difficulty paying attention, difficulty retaining information. And yes, those are some of the symptoms of cognitive decline. Um, sometimes they're not even noticeable. Um, mm. You know, people tend to let go of certain projects or certain activities in their life because it becomes quote unquote difficult or it's very Difficult for them to engage in more complex conversations, or it's very difficult for them to do a couple of things together. The term multitasking is such a misnomer. We can't multitask, you know, we just do multiple things badly. But I think when people have difficulty completing a task, that is essentially cognitive decline. And when Dean was referring this and, you know, essentially identifying it as a problem is because we don't have a system of diagnosing it. It never gets checked. It's a symptom and people say, oh, well, you just do whatever you do. And it's part of normal aging. Yeah, normal aging. Or they don't even say that because when a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old experiences these symptoms, they don't connect that to brain health issues. They're just, they, we, we have different words to uh, to d- express them. And I think that that's when the pathology essentially starts. And this is not, you know, a fear-mongering conversation, but, um, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's disease, they don't happen all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. The pathologies, they linger for years and decades until the brain essentially gives up and can't function properly. And that's when the diagnoses start.
2: Yeah, well, I think what you're saying is so interesting. And in, in the sense that when you're talking about those symptoms of cognitive decline, I mean, I'm thinking about people even in their 20s, 30s, 40s, that might talk about, you know, difficulty focusing or concentrating or, um, f- like, forgetfulness or, like, little things that, I mean... I, I could be wrong here, but I, I think often can be maybe associated with stress or just kind of like pushed aside thinking, oh, it's just because I'm busy or, oh, I've always been that way or or I'm stressed. And perhaps stress is part of it sometimes. But, but the idea that, you know, there, this could also be the early signs of cognitive decline, but we're not actually recognizing that at an early enough stage. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, it, it, it is that and also um when the brain is under assault by poor lifestyle whether mm. it's stress or lack of exercise or um or poor you know food. bad bad nutrition patterns it ends up causing the pathological changes in the brain that uh, eventually um you know manifest in dementia and so this is actually a wonderful opportunity. And as scientists, we've seen the effect and the impact of our daily choices on brain health. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why lifestyle is so incredibly important because the brain, this living universe gets affected by whatever we do, the kind of people we surround ourselves with, the kind of food choices we have, the kind of movements we choose to partake in,
2: Mm. All of that
1: affects our brain function and ultimately our brain health later on in life.
2: Absolutely. And- So I want to ask you some of the the specifics, but I just have a little statistic here for anybody that's listening, because as you say, you've mentioned that this isn't a small issue, That in the UK, quite strikingly, one in every 14 members of the population aged 65 years and over suffer with dementia. So this isn't an uncommon thing. And as you said, I think 70% of that category can go on to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's.
0: Correct, absolutely. I mean,
2: that's massive. It really is. It really is.
0: Just to give you an idea as far as the cost, um, in, in US, the second costliest disease, and the, the pattern is the same in most Western countries, um, the, the second costliest disease is heart disease. Heart disease, $120 billion. Cancers combined, all of them combined, $70 billion. Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's alone, $500 billion. $4 billion um, in direct cost and indirect cost. $540 billion. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just bewildering. And that number is climbing rapidly and by itself will collapse our system if we don't address it. Now, here's the good news. As much as that, well, we might have scared you as far as the brain fog, <laughs> Lots and all So that's bad stuff, news. There's hope. There's perf- not only hope. Here's the thing we're not selling anything. Right there's you don't there's no biohacking there's no gimmicks there's no enough blueberries blueberries are awesome oh yeah they're don't amazing for the brain but it's I love not them. going to be just blueberries but what you do at home at work and community the simple things as far as you know we call it the neuro concept uh, nutrition exercise the simple things inculcated into your daily life will not only protect you against dementia stroke heart disease all of that but give you expanded brain capacity well into your 70s, 80s, and 90s. And this is not a salesmanship thing. There's nothing to sell except hope and health that what we're selling is the fact that the brain has that much resilience if you give it the tools, the simple tools in your home.
2: Mm, If you allow it to to thrive in the way it should. So um, can you explain then for for us, just in terms of, so you're talking about the some of the lifestyle interventions that that can support brain health and brain function not just in pre- a preventative manner but actually supporting optimal functioning kind of on a day-to-day basis um can you tell us a little bit about the progression of the the disease that that does become alzheimer's then so you're saying that it starts with um, you know signs of, of cognitive decline, um, and then, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, I'm going to make an assumption that that you might say it starts even earlier in, in stages and in that. But just for people who aren't familiar with um, the internals in terms of the inflammation yeah. and all of that, if you could just explain kind of that cascade that we're seeing. Of course.
0: So there is the protection and there's the assault. The salt is fourfold. It's inflammation, oxidation, glucose, or energy dysregulation, and lipid or fat dysregulation. Those are the fundamental four forces. There's, now they're not separate. The body mm-hmm. works together, so it's always one, or not one or the other, it's a combination. But sometimes we're driven to the disease process with one of them mostly. For people who have uncontrolled diabetes, that's the one. But it's actually even more than diabetes. We did one of the largest studies in the country in, in, in a nationwide database called NHANES. We looked at pre-diabetics, people mm. with insulin resistance only, and they had co- lower cognitive state, which puts wow. them at higher risk. Uh, people have looked at high cholesterol, but they looked at borderline high cholesterol. Definitely people with high cholesterol, sustained high cholesterol, had a 53% higher risk of dementia, 57%. 57%, yes. But even borderline high cholesterol, which is usually not treated, has a higher percentage of dementia.
2: When we're talking high cholesterol, just in terms of levels, what are we talking here?
1: We're talking about um, specifically LDL cholesterol or the low density lipoprotein being high. Um, And um, there's almost a dose response kind of a relationship between higher LDL and lower cognitive state and higher risk of development of Alzheimer's disease. And there have been multiple studies that have looked into it um, mm-hmm. in the United States, specifically the Kaiser Permanente Northern California study, which Dean was referring to. They looked at 10,000 people, and when they looked at their past, higher cholesterol level was uh, was associated with an increased risk of development of Alzheimer's disease.
2: Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: So the, and inflammation, of course, is profoundly associated with dementia. And, you, and people say that inflammation may be the common pathway later down the stream. And what causes inflammation? Of course, di- uncontrolled diabetes, hyper- uncont- uncontrolled cholesterol can cause it, but also inflammatory states, you know, mm. um, uh, arthritis and things of that nature that is not treated or not maintained can be uh, the cause or head trauma. <clears throat> mm-hmm. or infections or uh, poor gingival health care you know uh, or yeah. um, you know, any kind of an sustained inflammation and oxidation which comes from lipid and fat dysregulation as well those are the assaults some other ones are loss of hearing um uh, depression and, and and stress um you know um and, and alcohol abuse uh, cigarette abuse all of these can also contribute now the protection comes in what's called cognitive reserve Uh, And and I have a lot of band names. I'm a terrible musician, but but I've already thought about five, six band names. Uh, One of them is cognitive reserve uh, because it's so powerful. That's what we are working towards. That connectivity I was speaking about earlier, each neuron being able to make 30,000 connections, that's not a nominal thing. That's a profound power that we all have. When people develop increased focus at any age, it's, they're developing that capacity in particular areas of the brain,
2: so you're saying thirty thousand isn't necessarily the norm, but that's the the we have the capacity
0: exactly. It's not even close to the norm. Mm. The norm is at a much lower levels. we We have the capacity to make each of the eighty seven billion neurons make thousands of connections, which gives you redundancy and and protection, and not just protection, but expansion. Yeah. Ability. The reason that those chess players can play 17, 15, 20 people blindfolded is not because they're smarter. Well, some of them are smarter, but, but it's because they've developed that capacity to focus to that level. Mm -hmm. We have that capacity and we can develop that. So it is, the hope is in your daily activities. The hope is in the fact that we accept the fact that what we do on a daily basis, the thing that goes into your mouth, three to five times a day will affect the most energy hungry, the most susceptible pi- or organ of them all, the brain, how much you move and how much blood and BDNF and hormones or growth hormones you pump into your brain through exercise does matter mm. how you manage your stress under stressful conditions, which we all are, or how we perceive stress on a minute by minute basis can create a endocrine storm, Mm. or a calm that can allow the brain grow massively. All these things are not some magic pill we buy on a store. It's the magic behavior that we inculcate in our life.
2: Mm. That's, I mean, that's just amazing in terms of, I think it really paints a picture that I, you know, leading into why lifestyle interventions might be um uh, an appropriate support system, because the way you talk there about inflammation, again, most of our our listeners who have listened along to the to, to some of these podcasts will have heard inflammation mentioned quite a bit. Um, but I think when when we think of what inflammation is, you're talking there in terms of okay, it's um, it's having you know head injuries or or physical injuries, it's eating bad food it's not getting enough sleep it's um being stressed it's negative thinking um and i think when um when inflammation is explained in that context is it makes it um a lot easier and even I think it just makes complete sense. Then when we when we hear you go on and talk about, okay, so this is why diet would fit in, or this is why exercise might fit in, or this is why why this might fit in. So I just kind of wanted to break down um, that there because I think you you really kind of related those points really well. Because sometimes inflammation can just be this term that we're like, I know yeah. we don't want it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, yes, but yes, how yes. do we so not true.
2: have it? So true, absolutely. <laughs>
0: um,
2: just one other thing, I I'm conscious that I don't want to go off point here, but something really interesting that you said, Dean, is when you were talking about the the chess player, um, and you spoke about how um, okay, yes, there's there's an aspect that can be intelligence, but also it's it's training and building your capacity for that focus. Um, and I wondered, it, it made me think of brain. training Training, which I think often um, when we hear about dementia or Alzheimer's and things like that, one of the big things that we're told about is, is brain training and Sudoku and all of these kind of things. Um, but I wonder when you were talking about that in relation to building your brain's capacity um, and focus, are things like diet and other lifestyle um, applications just as as supportive as these kind of brain training activities which we will talk about in in a minute but
1: yeah absolutely I think um, if I may Dean um, yeah, I'm I think it's it's very important for people to know that it's the the multifaceted and the comprehensive approach to lifestyle that matters the most. Mm. you know there are certain lifestyle uh, factors that provide the right environment for the brain to grow and to start reconnecting. So with food, with sleep, and with stress management, you allow the environment to be in a thrive mode. And Mm -hmm. then exercise and cognitive activity, they basically pump all the juices for the connections to be made. That's the action part of your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So you have to do all of them together. There are some individuals who say, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, but I'll do this. Good, okay, perfect, yes. uh, But you won't have that... That, that wonderful environment or the combination of the action as well as the environment that can help your brain heal itself and grow. So all of them are very important. And especially when it comes to cognitive activity, I think that's one area that has been ignored quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we know uh, from our own research and from you know the research of so many other different scientists uh, over the few years that the the concept of reconnection or the brain reconnecting itself is real. It happens each and every day. And when people are involved in real life activities where multiple domains of their cognition are involved, so say, for example, if somebody is choosing to play a musical instrument, it's their vision, it's their memory, it's their motor function, it's their emotions, all of those domains are involved in that activity. And that truly provides the right environment for the brain to reconnect itself, as opposed to more simpler ones. You know, it's not to say that, say, for example, Sudoku, or Dean has specific feelings about Sudoku, or crossword puzzles are, are not good. They are, but they don't really do as much as a real-life activity does.
2: Mm, well, it's music to my ears hearing you talk about instruments, because I would definitely gravitate towards that before yes. cross, crosswords. Um, can I just ask you, when you're talking about the brain reconnecting, What what do you mean by that?
0: Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now.
1: Go! At the
2: UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to
0: help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
2: Is there anything you can't do?
0: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the you! Yeah. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything
1: At least that's good The UPS Store, be unstoppable Most locations are independently owned Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary See center for details Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time
0: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith Co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in theaters May 17th Do you want to tell people the big news? So there's been a lot of talk about neuronal growth. <clears throat> we have 87 billion neurons. Do we grow new neurons? Well, yeah, we do. That's, they seem to create false controversy. No, there's no controversy. We grow new neurons, but it's not to the extent that it would matter profoundly. But what okay. we do do, which is profound, is connect at any one moment. Each of the 87 billion neurons make these axonal and dendritic connections and if you look at these pictures of a neuron with all the dendritic arborization, all the connections, it looks like the most dense forest, and it's one neuron yeah. making thirty thousand connections, and that's happening by minute by minute, day by day. And how, why does it happen? When you're challenging the brain around a particular domain. Now, if you do, uh, you know Sudoku. That's great. You're you're doing a lot of neuronal growth around number nine. I mean, I have no idea <laughs> why you would do that. I, I you're, you're not, I'm not in that clan, but but I'm joking. I I but it but if you're playing a musical instrument, and and Aisha is a professional singer. I'm a I'm wow. I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm the worst guitar player in history, but <laughs> the cacophony that I create, I love. And when you're playing, as Aisha said, when you're playing a guitar, you're doing motor movements, right? It's Mm. dexterity. That's your motor cortex being affected. Yeah. You're visually processing. It's your occipital lobe being fully uh, activated. You're reading the notes. That's your left parietal for majority of people. The language centers being affected. By the way, music is your first language and your music is your last language.
2: Mm.
0: When people stop talking in dementia patients, they still have retained their musical sense.
2: Wow. Children have
0: musical language before they have linguistic language. So wow. you're stimulating your musical side. You're processing it intellectually. That's your frontal lobe. You're being creative. It's your right parietal lobe. You're emotionally involved in it. That's your limbic system. That's your brain on fire. That's no Sudoku. Get that Sudoku out of this house. <laughs> We're talking about a powerful tool that can build the brain. Now, some people, it's music. For others, mm. it's dance. Dance is even more. I mean, talk about being bad dancer. We don't want to, meet but but still, it's learning new dances. You know, that's yeah. amazing. Running a group, playing cards with friends. You know, those are complex behaviors that challenge the brain and force those thirty thousand connections per neuron. Mm. That's n- that. There's no gimmick there.
1: And, and that's yeah. a Sorry. definition of the concept of neuroplasticity: the mm. ability the ability for the brain to continuously make connections between its cells and continue to grow. And people who have been involved in real-life activities for the most part of their life, they they actually have healthier brains. And even if later in life they develop the pathology of, say, Alzheimer's disease, if they have stronger connections over a lifetime We actually have seen that they don't manifest the disease as much as someone who wasn't cognitively active would. Mm -hmm. Um, The NUNS study showed just that. The NUNS who had higher vocabulary or who were very involved in their society, they tended to have lower manifestations of Alzheimer's disease despite the pathology in their brain which is such a phenomenal, empowering message mm-hmm. to know that you can actually reconnect your brain at any age, by the way. It doesn't happen only in our 20s, 30s, or 40s. It can happen at any time. Mm-hmm. The brain literally grows in size when we keep ourselves active.
2: And that's such an encouraging message, I think, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and what I think I hear you saying is that you don't necessarily need to be good at playing instruments or dancing. It still can have the benefits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Let's just say that. Let's, okay. For my sake,
0: let's just say that.
1: Hopefully, we're not destroying brain
0: cells. Yeah, I might be killing everybody else's brain cells around me, but <laughs> yeah. I, I'm enjoying my my. No, as long he's as you just, enjoy no, it's really good. I do. I do. <laughs>
1: as
2: yeah. long as you're enjoying the experience of whatever activity and you're having that emotional connection, it's still benefiting you. If not, other the other people around you. <laughs>
0: Exactly.
2: (laughs) That's that's amazing and and such an encouraging message. So I think I'd I'd love to kind of get into a few of the details then on all of these kind of lifestyle bits that that we've teetered around. And I think a good place to start is the diet, because I always think of your dietary intake. And I mean, as you so rightly said earlier, Dean, in it's something that you're, you know, you're ingesting food most people two three four times a day so it's got to make an impact right Right. um and something that i've i've seen from from following your work and and obviously in this amazing new book that that you've released is that you have a very plant-centered and plant-focused um plan when it comes to to supporting your cognitive health um, through diet. So I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that, what kind of foods um, you recommend, what what you see.
1: Absolutely. So, um, you know, as, as scientists, uh, we want to make sure that we're evidence-based. And um, even though there is a lot of noise when it comes to the world of nutrition and there's, you know, diet of the day and the diet wars and the nutrition wars going on, I think it's a variation of the same theme that keeps coming back to us over and over again, which um, shows that a diet that is plant-based or plant-predominant is mm. the best diet for the brain. And uh, there are certain things that one need to avoid, um, things like um, processed foods, uh, yeah. high in sugar, salt, and bad quality fats, such as trans fatty acids, or saturated fats. It's important Mm. to negate them. And then increasing foods that are high in nutrients, essentially plant foods that are high in fiber in phytonutrients that have um, lots of micronutrients and macronutrients. If they're consumed on a regular basis, it provides the right kind of an energy for the brain to continue to function properly and also prevent damage to Mm. the brain cells, to the blood vessels in the brain. Um, we've heard about the Mediterranean diet quite a bit. The Mediterranean diet has been studied extensively. And when you look at the diet construct of the Mediterranean diet, it's essentially plant predominant. It's fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds, and the reduction of processed foods?
0: Uh, Aisha is being uh, humble here. Uh, She did the largest study in in the world on Mediterranean diet and and vascular diseases of Uh the brain. She won the American Heart Association Youngest Researcher Award on that, 133,000 people. Wow, congratulations, um, uh, thank you. uh, As as the husband, I was in the middle of the authors, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, So she was the first author, Uh, amazing paper. Looking at just that, um, um, and and what we what she found, and she will tell you this better, is that it's gradation. The closer you are to the whole Mediterranean diet, mm. the, the the lower the risk. So it's not all or none. Steps are good, but here's the thing: when you look at the construct of what a when you do what they call factor analysis, factor mm. analysis, means what factors are truly important? Yeah. When you, they do factor analysis of what is a Mediterranean diet, Mediterranean diet is not this you know, romantic, sexy thing on a, you know, on a lake with cheese and and, and wine and this. No, it's (laughs) plants, beans, legumes, um, and and, and literally all across the board. And the only other thing that's not plant-centered is uh, fish, but it's not the fish, it's the omega-3 source.
1: Right, the omega-3 fatty acids are the most important fats for the brain. And Mm. uh, whether they're derived from fish or from plant-based sources, such as flax seeds and chia seeds and hemp seeds, walnuts. Uh, it's important to consume those foods uh, on a regular basis. Um, and, and, and that's essentially it. Um, so in our book, uh, all of our recipes are focusing on what we call the neuro nine. And mm-hmm. I know that it's kind of catchy, but essentially the top nine foods that have the highest anti-inflammatory indices. And so things like green leafy vegetables, which are some of the most amazing foods on earth, Mm. or whole grains, um, nuts, seeds, berries when it comes to fruits, because they have the most amount of phytochemicals. These are these colored compounds that essentially fight inflammation in our brain and in the rest of the body. Um, And so if we consume them and if we know how to cook them well, I think cooking is also one of the most important skills that we can all have. um, And to put things together in a quick, easy, and a delicious way that will ensure better brain health for all of us.
0: Um Aisha while doing a fellowship at Columbia University I
1: promise you I didn't pay him to say all of this. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> He's bragging
0: about it. No, no. I mean, uh, (laughs) I'm um, loving it. Just, just to show that the source, uh, um, uh, well, um, she's a culinary artist as well. In the morning, she would be in the ICU, um, uh, seeing patients um, in one of the busiest ICUs in the world. And then at night, she would be in culinary school, uh, learning how to cook. Because we really, early on, 17 years ago, 18 years ago, when we met, we knew that prevention meant not just telling people what to do, but helping them achieve that. And if you gave people, oh, eat plants and all they think about is salad.
1: Mm. Oh, you've lost
0: them. Mm -hmm. Oh, If it's not not easy, tasty and healthy, it's not going to work. So they Mm -hmm. have to see that healthy food can be tasty. They have to see that living healthy life is not expensive. It's actually around you in your home and your environment. So for 17 years, we've been focusing not just on the science for us, having been involved in the three of the largest studies in the world, we knew what was healthy. It's mm-hmm. how do we translate it into people's lives so they can truly apply it. There are many, many people saying this, that, and the other, and, you know, um, but we are behavioral neurologists. And um, in the book, The Thirty Day Alzheimer's Solution, there are 75 recipes which we worked on for, well, she worked on for many, many years. <laughs> but it's about how they can people can easily easy is the term, Right, mm. bring it into their life and get much of the anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, uh, you know, glucose and lipid dysregulatory mechanisms as possible.
2: Mm. Well, I, you know, I absolutely love that you actually brought that up in terms of the importance of the enjoyment as well, because I think, you know, it's amazing when we hear about, you know, how brilliant leafy greens are for us and how many more nuts and berries and all of this kind of thing we need to bring into our diet. But if, as you say, we're, we don't have the skills to create something that's delicious or maybe we don't have the recipes to to create something that's delicious we might find ourselves like forcing you know maybe a week of salads we might be able to just about manage doing a week of downing kind of (laughs) salads without any dressing and I think you know when we bring it back to how you were talking about the um, the impact of of music or dancing or singing and you talked about the the emotive aspect like the feeling um, of that craft being as important, you know, it makes me think about how important the feeling aspect of food is as well, in terms of it has to feel good um, and hopefully also be nourishing. But it's it's these cooking skills that 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 we need. We need recipes to to show us how to make this food delicious so that it can be easily integrated. So I just I really love that that you said that because I think often it's not um it's not push as much at the forefront in terms of how important it is that these things taste good. Cause I don't want to eat anything that doesn't taste good. Exactly. Oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> exactly, absolutely.
2: Same here. Yeah. Same here. No. It's not no. fun. <laughs> no,
0: no. Yeah, yeah. it has to taste well. And, and I tell you as a, I know that it sounds like I'm advertising um, for Aisha, but um, <laughs> well, we you're doing a two... great job. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have two teenage kids. Mm. Um, and, and our test m- samples are they, they keep us real. Yeah. Because we've told them, they'll tell
1: you <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no. in our household, we've, it's critical to stay true to the facts mm. and, and to, we get a feedback as far as whether it's tasty, if it's, uh, if it fits their palate. You remember the palate thing is different. I'm, I grew up in a family of meat eaters. Mm. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh. And we had a farm for hunting, and my uncles were surgeons, and we would go hunting, and meat we were terrible hunters as well. So thank, uh, th- thank goodness to the animals, but um, but meat, 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 meat. Yeah. And how do you change? How do you exchange that taste and that texture? Well, that's an art. And Aisha was from a family of chocolate hunters. Oh goodness, yeah, <laughs> now, lots of
1: processed food. Everybody was busy, and even though my mom is an amazing cook, but you know because of traveling, mm. we just relied too much on. Fast foods and candy bars and just high energy foods to get us through the day and um, you know having that kind of a palate at at the beginning, um, you know you would think that it would be impossible for me to chow down a kale salad every (laughs) single day, but it you know it it can become so delicious if if we only have you know certain very easily available or attainable skills and mm. some good recipes and that's why Dean and I are quite passionate about food because like you said food is not just food it's it's our it's our emotions it's a mm. culture it's it's our joy it's something that brings all of us together one of the best memories that i have have been around a dinner table and mm. around food and mm-hmm. one of the best conversations we've had was about food as well so it's important for us to associate good health better brain health with good food
2: absolutely and i mean as you say as well you know just just speaking on on your own childhood experiences i think A lot of us do kind of grow up and find ourselves in adulthood only having the cooking skills that were associated with our childhood. So if we grew up on steak and potatoes or if we grew up on chicken and rice or whatever we grew up on, we have those skills. So the idea of stepping outside of those um, when we're being told, "Okay, you might want to look into including more leafy greens or nuts or legumes that can be quite an intimidating and and scary concept when all you know Mm -hmm. how to do is cook a good steak. So again, I think, as you say, having these creative recipes and and really showing people in the kitchen how they can apply this clinical knowledge um, is, is amazing. And also, just to say from what you were what you were speaking about in the beginning, back to relating all this back to the inflammation when you're talking about, you know, the the phytonutrients, um, which are plant nutrients and the antioxidants and all of these healthy fats, the omega threes that you're talking about in the foods, that those are all kind of reducing that inflammation that you were talking about earlier is contributing to this to this cognitive decline. Um, so then from food, tell me about some other lifestyle measures. I think exercise and sleep always comes to mind, but I'd love yes. to hear, hear from you. What, what are those other lifestyle factors surrounding that foundation of nutrition that we can kind of build upon? Cause I'm wanting that 30,000. <laughs> yes.
0: yes, absolutely. We, we all do. We absolutely uh, so we've built this fundamental structure called the neuro, neuro mm-hmm. plus one, or neuro plus habit. Uh, the habit component is—we is could have a whole talk about how important, how easy, and how fundamental it is to create a system where you can actually alter your habits. We are here. What we are here with are habits that we developed in our teenage years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What are when? How are those habits built? through dysfunction, through um, uh, some bad you know, relationships with the refrigerator, with, with with friends, with your mother, with your, you know, whatever, whatever, all this stuff. You just all learned about my psychopathy right there. <laughs> but, but, but it's habits that were dysfunctionally laid down without a form, structured, vision-driven process. I say to people, I mean, do you really want to live with your teenage habits? Well, one of the first things we do is, give people the tools to change their habits around their vision. Mm. So that's critical. And that's a process that's important and can be done. So then it's neuro. Neuro is N for nutrition, E for exercise, U for unwind, which is reducing bad stress and increasing good stress. Yes, Mm -hmm. good stress is fundamental. Uh, R is restorative sleep, and O is optimizing social and mental activity. Mm -hmm. And nutrition we talked about, mostly whole food, plant-based, Less process, less sugar, uh, you know, simple sugars. E is exercise, which means move and move a lot throughout the day. Make your living environment. When you change your environment towards a behavior, it's more likely to happen than when you create a plan. A plan doesn't do it. When your Mm -hmm. environment is conducive, then you will do it. If If you've made it so that you're standing up while watching TV... When you're stretching, when you're moving, when you've told yourself that every morning in the morning, 20 minutes of brisk walk, by the way, mm. 25 minutes of brisk walk every morning by Harvard study, reduce your chance of Alzheimer's by 45%. Wow. A brisk walk. Yep. Do we have a yep. drug that does 1%? No. So no. Uh, And by the way, a morning brisk walk will help you sleep later that night, will help your energy metabolism and everything.
2: Simple thing. And that's 25 uh, minutes. Yeah, 25
0: that's, not, minutes. that's
2: not a long time. Yeah. No. no.
0: No, and then of course it affects mood. We know that mm. early light mood. And all, so it's one of the most effective things. So exercise is one of them. By the way, leg strength is profoundly important for brain size. Mm. Use unwind, stress management. Identify specifically, not generally, specifically the bad stressors in your life and the good stressors. And then reduce, eliminate, and delegate the bad stressors. Increase, empower, and tool the good stressors in a systematic way. That differential is what controls your limbic hypothalamic pituitary hormone bomb. That simple process of specifically identifying the good and bad stressors and then systematically reducing the bad over time and systematically increasing the good stressors. What is a good stress? Learning to dance, learning a musical instrument, uh, running a uh, podcast, you know, things of mm. that nature. All of these are good stressors because they're driven by my purpose,
2: mm-hmm. they're
0: time bound, they have clear delineated successes. That's what the brain was made for. Why else would we have 87 billion neurons to be stressed toward our purpose? So that's you. Ours, restorative sleep. I can knock anybody out with medicine and I'm not against medicine. We're not against medicine. No, we're not, no. Uh, But for short term, long term, you have to create an environment of what we call sleep spa, Mm. where you're allowed to go through deep stages of sleep four to five times a night. And those deep stages, do two fo- amazing things. One is organize the memories, thoughts, in write files, folders, and cabinets, metaphorically mm-hmm. speaking. And that's critical for focus. That, that fog will lift if you do that regularly. And secondly, you know, people talk about this cleanse and that cleanse. And, well, there are only two cleanses we know of. Water and, most importantly, sleep. Mm-hmm. Most of the cleansing mm-hmm. takes place in sleep, where your glial cells or lymphatic system Cleanses the brain more, better than anything, any pill out there. There are no pills out there that does that. Mm -hmm. And lastly, optimize. Oh, optimize, which is the good stress. Challenge your brain around your purpose. Push it, grow it, you know, make a life around that purpose. And that will create the millions and millions and billions of connections between the neurons. That's it.
2: Uh, Simple. (laughs) No, I, I... Gosh, I have so much that to to ask you within that, but I'd I'd love to. Firstly, just go back to um, exercise and particularly when you talk about exercise and then you talk about the good and the bad stressors, because I think something that often comes to mind, particularly in this day and age where a lot of us have been thrown into um, a difficult situation um, and we can be so busy with so many different commitments between work and family and friends and all these different things. and I often think about, you know, those those times where you're feeling very, very stressed, not the good kind of stressors. Um, you're kind of pushing on that, that point of feeling kind of burnt out and exhausted and things like that. Is this a situation that you still want to apply exercise into? Because as we know, exercise is also a stressor to the body, obviously a good stressor in most situations. But I... I I wonder in terms of the balance between that, is it the type of exercise that we need to consider Or is there a case where um, sometimes you need to go into that restorative relaxation place a little bit before you kind of maybe take on some of these other bits like exercise and and et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a nuance to it. Definitely Mm -hmm. there's nuance. I love the fact that you recognize there has to be nuance and there's no way that we can tease out the nuance for everybody here.
2: Exactly. There's
0: always a period of Meditation and mindfulness and and rest that's required and mm. that reflection is critical. In fact, I would love one of the first things to be taught in school system is just that the ability to connect with your own breath. This is not mm. a magical, you know, uh, pseudoscience thing. We know it's that the fact that when you calm yourself down and connect with your breath, you're actually calming your heart, your metabolic system, uh, your your endocrine system. Everything is affected. That's absolutely true. But as you know that. The most effective anxiolytic drug, the most effective antidepressant drug out there is exercise. Three times more effective than any other drug out there. Why is nobody talking about it? Because there's no money to be made, it's but crazy. it is effective. Now, what exercise it depends on what works for you mm. and what limitations you have yeah, and what proclivities you have, what tendencies you have. Um, If you have some difficulty with knees or joints and stuff, then you do upper extremity exercises or Mm -hmm. you do swimming exercises or you do... uh, So taking your own proclivities and tendencies and all of those things. But for majority of people, if you don't have those limitations, my favorite, and I think uh, is that morning brisk walk. That morning
2: walk, yeah. The brisk
0: park is important. Yeah. You got to get tired. You got to get short of breath. You want to feel your heart. You want to feel your heart. And that's incredibly important.
2: Hmm. But I think it's it's really good to to hear you um, expand specifically on that exercise piece, because um, I back when I used to work in, in clinic myself, I think sometimes there is a perception when you speak about nutrition or you speak about exercise that more is more is more um, mm. in terms of, you know, if I eat even more salads and don't don't ever eat chocolate or, you know, never allow myself caffeine. And equally, you know, I start doing that brisk walk and I'm feeling amazing and it's helping me manage my stress and I I feel energized and brilliant, but I'm thinking, oh, well, actually I should be going and doing high-intensity workouts and maybe I should be running instead. But what I hear you saying is that, you know, trying to find the balance between all these different pillars of of diet and and sleep and exercise that that feels good to you, you're still doing a good thing?
0: Oh, absolutely. But although I want to challenge two words. Okay. Two words that we hate. Um, One is motivation. Mm -hmm. The other one is moderation. Okay. Motivation is a very disempowering word. Mm. It's a demotivating word because somebody like me and Aisha and you and all, so we are Whatever happened in our childhood, create, laid down the infrastructure of emotion and and capacity to keep you more motivated than, than, than some other situations, right? But even I wake up many a morning, I'm not motivated to do the brisk walk or whatever. Um, so what am I going to rely on? It's not a thing that I can operationalize. There's not a thing that I can. So it's not a functional term. It's mm. almost like you have to wait for that emotion or you have to kind of fa- falsely create that emotion. Instead of that, we say there are, these are the true measures of where we want to be measurable.
1: Mm. So
0: for nutrition, I ultimately want to be in a whole food plant based diet. That's I don't have to get there, but that's a measurable, true endpoint mm. for exercise. I want to be able to exercise at least 40 minutes of brisk walk five days a week. And I want to do leg exercises three days a week, that's mm-hmm. my optimal, there it is. And, and by science, that's, a, and by stress management, I want to do meditation or mindfulness two twice a day and, and this and that, so you measure and you mm-hmm. give yourself measurable outcomes. Mm-hmm. And then you create measurable steps towards that. That becomes a functional path, as opposed to an amorphous emotion that always feels like you've failed. Yeah. Because the ideal motivation, that word motivation is such an ideal that even the most motivated person thinks like, oh my gosh, I might not be there Mm. forget about an ideal measurable steps toward a measurable end Mm. is the way to go. If you would have come to me in 20, 30 years ago, while I was playing soccer, tennis, football, all of these things. And, um, and I was eating meat seven times a day. And I would say, Oh, it's all about moderation. I'm going to eat five times a day. Really? Or I'm going to eat four chocolate bars a day. Is that okay? It's moderation compared to eight chocolate bars, but is that any better? So moderation is not, again, not a measurable thing. Mm. Measurable endpoints and measurable steps and habit-driven behaviors that are giving you successes and the process gives you successes. The process itself gives you joy Is a system you can build a life around. These soft terms are just for people out there to sell programs and rah-rah, motivate, jump up and down.
2: Yeah.
0: If it's not measurable steps that you can put in your own life, it's nothing. Except that 15 minutes of salesmanship.
2: No, I mean, that's, I think that's so powerful what you said, because let's be honest, even for the most motivated person out there in terms of how you might see them, sometimes you wake up and even for them, that can, that word can be draining (laughs) in and of itself, just thinking about that word. Um, So that's, I think that's really powerful what you've just said. Um, And it gives people permission to, you know, to kind of try different things and in you know slowly integrate things and see what what aspects that they enjoy um
0: just mm. one last thing on that and it's about honesty mm. everybody feels depressed everybody mm. feels anxious as driven as the two of us are and are focused on our own mission to make a difference very simple mission statement to help reduce suffering yeah i i had an Significant anxiety attack just a couple of weeks ago, and mm. and and I've never experienced that before. I've never, I, I didn't know what that was. Yeah, it happens to everybody. These terms mean nothing. Your journey should be measurable, mm. should be achievable, should be in your steps. It should have clear directions, and you are allowed to say I failed, but it doesn't mean that that's a it's a direction. It's a course correction. All of that is the human experience.
2: Mm hmm. Hearing it from um, individuals like yourselves who have all of this, you know, clinical backgrounds of, of excellence in neurology and behavior and everything, hearing people like yourselves saying that it's normal to not feel OK every single day. And there's there's it's OK to have kind of moments of of uh, transition and things like that. I think it's it's very comforting hearing it from from you.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all about the human experience. So
2: just on what you were talking about in terms of sleep and in terms of, um, you know, the importance of getting that deep sleep, is there a certain amount of hours that we should be sleeping per day? Or is it more about um, trying to get ourselves into more of a relaxed state um, in the hope that we would have that,
1: that better quality sleep? Where can people I start? Think- I think it's both. Um the, the first step is to assess our patterns. Um a lot of times when we work with individuals in the clinic, um, the complaints are very vague. I can't mm. sleep or I don't have good enough sleep. And the purpose of having a diary and and collecting information on yourself and your data to see what are some of the elements in your life that affect your sleep. Is it food? Is it exercise? Is it stress? Um, and then how many hours do you sleep? All in all, we know that, uh, we need at least seven to eight hours of sleep every single night. And it has to be the deep restorative kind where we don't wake up every few hours to go to the bathroom or being woken up by, by, you know, small little disturbances around us in the, Mm. in the environment. And as, as, um, as animals you know we we need regularity we need a pattern and mm. if we are following the pattern of sleep where we go to bed at the same time and then wake up at the same time that in itself determines our biological clock yeah. and our body and our brain functions appropriately if we do so Um, And there are so many different ways to create better sleep patterns, but it falls under some categories. So the first thing is environment, Mm. creating an environment where we can actually sleep very well, which means no sound, no light, um, and the correct kind of temperature, the correct kind of pillows and bed sheets that provide relaxation and comfort so we can sleep. And then there's food the mm. kind of foods that we eat. It's not even about the kind of foods that we should eat to help us sleep very well, but you know, when do we stop eating and allow our bodies yes. to rest before we sleep is important. Mm-hmm. So not eating at least two to three hours before bedtime, cutting out coffee in the afternoon. you know, Coffee has a very long half-life. It has about eight hours of half-life, which means mm. that caffeine, 50% of it lingers in your system if you drank a cup eight hours ago. So reserving your coffee or caffeinated, drinks for morning and not drinking in the afternoon helps quite a bit because it does affect the quality and the depth of our sleep. And then the the other elements are essentially making sure that when we sleep uh, that we're not disturbed. Mm. Uh, A lot of times the cleansing part And the consolidation of our memory occurs when our brain gets into the deeper stages of sleep. Hmm. And any condition, whether it's our environment or medical conditions such as sleep apnea or restless leg syndromes or anything that does not allow us to go through those deeper stages, they have to be diagnosed, they have to be addressed. Hmm. Um, We now know that sleep apnea, which is an epidemic, it increases the risk for development of Alzheimer's disease. So if somebody has these aches and pains or sleep apnea or restless leg syndrome, they should be checked and it should be treated.
2: Interesting. Wow. That's that's really, really interesting. Um so just we're we're coming to the end. Um but just before we go, we you're We've spoken a lot about um, the lifestyle measures, the dietary measures, um, all of those things that we can do to support our um, brain health to prevent cognitive decline. Are these some things that we can try and um, implement with with people who who may have a diagnosis?
1: That's a very good question. I'm so glad you brought that up because there's um, um, sometimes there's a lot of misinformation about. Um, Alzheimer's disease and lifestyle. So when somebody develops Alzheimer's disease and especially if it's in the moderate to advanced stages, um, so far we don't have any any, uh, effect on that. There's no Mm. reversal of Alzheimer's disease, unfortunately, but a healthy lifestyle can significantly slow down the progression of the disease. Yeah. it, it also again, it's it's a very nuanced conversation because mm. um, it it just depends on the situation, depends on the the support that the patient has, it depends on the stage of the disease. Because a lot of times, if you start implementing, say for example, a very strict dietary pattern for someone who's already having advanced symptoms of Alzheimer's disease, that could potentially create more stress than yeah. anything else. And that stress could propagate the disease in itself. Mm-hmm. so it 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 has to be you know so many different mu- multiple elements have to be taken into consideration before the introduction of a uh, lifestyle change for for the patient. But I guess we can make a generalized statement to say, yes, a healthy lifestyle does slow down the mm-hmm. process of the disease, yeah, but
2: no, no, interesting. so so yes, but it's something that you want to be um doing in accordance, you know, with your your healthcare providers and and your clinicians and kind of trying to, you know, yeah. work slowly yes. with them. A- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm gonna end on a little bit of a wild card question. Um, but as BBC Good Food, we absolutely adore our food, um, and particularly the joy of cakes and bakes and and all of that. <laughs> um, and I see there's an absolutely gorgeous image of a beautiful cake at the front of your new book. But I wanted to ask you both, in terms of um, if you're you know fancying something sweet or or going for a cake, do you have any favourites?
0: Yeah, uh, well, I'll I'll start. uh, (laughs) A very important question. Yes, because uh, I'm the test uh, person. Uh, The key lime pie is the greatest invention the human human being has ever made. Because going healthy, we thought, always thought that uh, it meant being deprived. In fact, the cover of our book, we were very uncomfortable with this cover because we are very anti-gimmick. There's Mm -hmm. so much gimmick out there that even you know the 30 day thing was a little uncomfortable, but they convinced us and we convinced them as uh, vice versa that 30 days means a a process a Mm. start. The cake was for people to know that you're not deprived, right? So Key Lime Pie is mine because she took a a food that's extremely unhealthy in its natural state and make it better tasting yet healthier. yes. I mean, significantly healthy. I mean, uh, that's my favorite.
1: Absolutely, gosh, I have so many favorites. It's, it's tough to choose, but I think my my favorite would be um, the the chocolate truffles. So I make these little truffles or the energy bites, and mm. in our first book, there is a hazelnut chocolate truffle. I think that's my favorite, and you know, it's made with dates and walnuts and hazelnuts mm. and some hemp and flax seeds, and you would never be able to tell that you're eating so many amazing sources of good fats mm. and antioxidants and anti-inflammatories in that delicious morsel. Uh, I, I love that trouble a lot.
2: Absolutely. Well, all of those, uh, first of all, I'm so glad to hear you say chocolate. Um, but, but, of course. But also, you know, that's bringing in all of those omega fatty acids that you were just talking about in something that can only... Be described
1: as a delicious dessert or snack. Yeah, so yes. it Absolutely. sounds like a pretty good deal to me. <laughs> the, the food in itself is uh, is helping the infrastructure of the brain, and the feeling actually helps your brain yeah. even more. The joy that it brings, it does. Amazing,
2: amazing. Well, that's all we have time for. But I just want to thank you both so so much for. Um, allowing us this time to to have a wonderful conversation about such an important topic as you know brain health and particularly long-term brain support um, I know that so much of the audience are going to get a lot out of this so so thank you for your time
0: thank you so much it was <laughs> lovely
1: speaking with you and thank you for the opportunity to disperse this message of hope and and empowerment about something that is very sad and devastating so thank you for helping us propagate this message.
2: Absolutely. So for anyone listening, you can find this podcast on our podcast page, um, bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast, where you can also find a link to Dr. Aisha and Dean's new book, The 30 Day Alzheimer's Solution. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, you, Tracy. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food Health Podcast. For more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.